Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Every Christmas, we hear the Christmas story, we sing the Christmas story, we watch movies about it, we talk about it, and church, and for many of us, it's a cute story, it's part of our tradition, but it's nothing more than a fairy tale. It warms our hearts. It's no different than a story that is told like Cinderella, which gives us hope for true love or something like that. For some people, it's much more than that. But for many people, when they approach the Christmas story, it really is kind of just something that's teaching us a good, mes- a good message because we watch movies and hear stories all the time that have good messages. Kids are in the room with us this morning. What did you learn from the movie Frozen? Who's a Frozen movie fan? Let it go, yeah. <laughs> let it go. We learned to let it go. What else? What, what, did you, what did you learn from the movie Frozen? Let's not, what did you learn from the movie Frozen? What did what'd you learn? That else is crazy. All right. Disney is failing. <laughs> we learn, if you watch the movie Frozen, you learn how well it's important to treat others well. It's important to be nice. What did, did you just watch the movie Inside Out last year? Remember that movie came out? With the, what did you learn about Inside Out? You you can be crazy if your emotions go crazy. It's important to understand all of our feelings and all that, right? Well, think about this. Kids are watching stories and movies and seeing things all the time. It's what we grow up with, and there's supposed to be a deeper lesson, and we say, yeah, that was kind of a fun story. Now, what's the real lesson? And then we come to the Christmas story, and we say, now, what's the real lesson underneath there? But oftentimes, things can get confused. And even as we come to Christmas, the birth of Jesus gets intermixed with the story of Santa Claus, who also does some pretty amazing things. Am I right? Santa Claus does some awesome things. Now, kids, are you more excited about the arrival of Santa or the arrival of Jesus this Christmas? You know what the right answer is. (laughs) The truthful answer. (laughs) It's hard to answer, isn't it? Because here we go. We mix our stories all the time. And how are kids supposed to know which one is is the truth that we're talking about that is dear to our faith and gives us hope and life and strength, and which ones are stories that teach us wonderful lessons. We were, we were uh, prepping for sermon prep this week, and one of, one of our communicators said they were walking by, they were out on a, on a night walk, and there was these two kids that, that walked by. You know, they were, they were walking by the bright lights of the one house, and there was a blow-up snowman and a snow globe at another house, and then they came to this other house, and there was a, there was a nativity scene on the front lawn, and there was a star on the roof. And the one of the kids looked at the other kid and said, I don't even think they believe in Santa Claus at that house. <laughs> and the other kid said, I know, it's okay, I know them, they're good people anyway. <laughs> It's funny though, right, how we mix all that in. Santa's a great guy and he's got a great story and teaches us great things as well. But sometimes we misplace our hope and where we get hope from and what we put our hope 
into. And we're into week three of our Good News series, and we're going to Final, we're going to conclude this series next week in Mississauga during our candlelight services, so make sure you plan to join us for one of those. But in week one, we talked about hope for the homeless and how Jesus came into this world homeless, and as he fled as a refugee, and he lived a human life that identified with so many of us who were looking for a home someplace in this world. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus brings hope for the hungry, and that we all have this desire and this need to feel full, and whether it's a literal, physical need of hunger, or whether we're just hungry for peace in our souls, Jesus' birth brings hope for those who are hungry. And here we land on week three, and we're talking about just hope for those who have lost all hope in this world because of our circumstance and situation. So if you have your notes in your bulletin, or kids, if you have your kids' packs, or you can open up your, uh, your devices and your smartphones, and you can follow along, and you can fill in the blanks. We've got three fill-in-the-blanks and some fun stuff in there for the kids as well. But as we get going this morning, I want you to consider, what gives you hope? What are you excited about? What are the things that are in your mind or in your spirit that, that give you energy every morning when you wake up? Are kids, if, are there presents under your tree already? No, because no, mom and dad know they would shake them, right? You would wreck those things. Does anyone have presents under their tree? We have presents, yeah, we have some presents under our tree. The, it, it's got this anticipation of, of hope. Kids, you know this is the last week of school? Doesn't that give you hope? You don't have to go to school for two weeks? There's all, there's all kinds of fun experiences, something we're, get, we're going to get. Our, our calendar, you know what? The calendar gives me hope. You know why? Because I see there's only three months of winter on there. And I know that after the winter ends, when it's not going to be the same thing. And even though right now we're all out shoveling and hurting our backs, I know by the time June, July, and August runs around, we're not going to have winter like this anymore. And we can get out and suntanning again. But it gives me hope for this reason. It's a promise that the things we struggle with today, that... <laughs> isn't necessarily the thing that I'm going to be struggling with three months from now, six months from now. Next year, I'm, we may not be struggling with the same thing tomorrow. And it's the last week before Christmas, and we're supposed to be wearing a smile, and we, we hear Christmas songs all around. But deep down, I bet, although there are reasons to be hopeful, there's something that weighs you down from time to time, whether it's financial situation, a job situation, a relationship situation, a health situation. There's something that starts to gnaw away at the hope that we're supposed to have during this season. And if I could wave a magic wand and say, if tomorrow you could wake up and you could change one thing, what would your tomorrow look like? And that's actually a counseling question we use in, in solution-focused counseling. We say, if you could picture a brand new future tomorrow, what would you do? And the reason we do that is because we believe that, that many people can't even start to change until they can picture what that change would look like. And so many of us are blinded by the situation that's right in front of us. We can't even see what the difference would be, what the new life would look like, because present circumstance is clear and bold, and right there, and if it's that big and if it's that depressing, sometimes it makes us incapable of seeing the promise that's beyond that issue that's right in front of us. And we're going to look at the Christmas story from another set of eyes this morning. We're going to look into the world in which Jesus entered. Actually, we're going to look at the world that was when Jesus was first prophesied about back in the prophet Isaiah and what the world looked like when he entered as well. So I've got four friends that are going to help me read our key passage of Scripture this morning. So why don't you welcome to the stage with me, Jeremy, Janae, Imani, and Amani. Come on up, guys. 
and the words are going to be on screen behind us as well, but uh, Jeremy's going to read first, and then, J- and, and then Janae. Don't worry, they'll get it on for you, bro. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, go ahead and read uh, the first couple verses of Isaiah 9. But there won't be any more sadness for those who were suffering. In the past, the Lord brought shame on the land of Zebulun. He also brought shame on the land of Naphtali. But in the days he will come to honor Galilee, where people from other nations live. The people who are now living in darkness will see a great light. They are now living in a very dark land. But a, lo- a light will shine on them. Lord, you will make our nation larger. You will increase their joy. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He will rule over us, and he will be called Wonderful Advisor and Mighty God. He will also be called Father who lives forever and Prince who brings peace. There will be no limits to how gracious authority is. The peace he brings will never end. The kingdom, he will rule on David's throne and on his, over his kingdom. He will make the kingdom strong and secure. His rule will be based on what is fair and right. It will last forever. The Lord's great love will make sure that happens. He rules over all. Thanks. We thank our readers this morning. I love being a part of a church that makes space for our kids to be right in and worship and learning with us because this is more than a story we're talking about. This is what is truth to us. It's like I was saying, can actually give us life. And I thank you all that we can take time together to celebrate together. So if you're filling in the blanks this morning as we look at hope for those who have lost hope, we need to know that hope prevails regardless of your circumstance. Now, Jeremy, you did a great job reading some very difficult words. You read the word Zebulun. And you read the word Naphtali. And I bet, we're not going to ask the adults to raise their hand this morning. But I bet if they were up here reading that word, I'm not so sure how it would have came out. (laughs) Because those words mean very little to many people. But what Jeremy read for us is in the past, shame and sadness were brought upon Zebulun and Naphtali. So let's go over to the map, and uh, Fad's going to pull up our map. So these, these are the 12 tribes of Israel as they were originally uh, situated. We've got the Mediterranean Sea here. And if you look at the top, you've got Naphtali is one of the top northern tribes, and then you've got Zebulun here. And this prophecy that Isaiah was talking about, he's saying in the past, there was sadness for Naphtali and Zebulun. And that's because when, when, when the kingdoms that came and took over Israel and the northern kingdoms, we have, if you, if you look through the Old Testament, there's Israel gets split into two kingdoms. And you've got the north, which was called Israel, and the south, which is still called Judea, which is just the, uh, the tribes down here. But the north was taken over, and it, uh, the northern kingdoms were taken over, and they came through Naphtali and then Zebulun. And this prophecy is talking about the times when the Syrians or the Persians or whomever it was, the Babylonians came in 
and took away all their young men and destroyed their towns. And these were the tribes that were just ravaged and their, and their cities and homes burned down, destroyed, everything taken away. And that's what that prophecy is talking about. And what a horrible circumstance it would have been for Zebulun and Naphtali. And he's saying, there was sadness, but you're going to have hope. You're not going to have sadness anymore. This was a promise that was given to people who would have looked around at their world and said, this world stinks. <laughs> We're being attacked. We're being enslaved. We don't have our freedom. We don't have the life that we always imagined we would have. And into that, Isaiah prophesies, there's not going to be sadness anymore. What's the hard thing that you're facing right now? What's the thing that weighs on your mind, that weighs on your heart, and over Christmas, you're not going to be able to smile, you're not going to be able to celebrate because that thing is there and is present. Job is ending. Job's not there for you. You're applying for it. It's a financial thing. It's a health crisis. You're in and out of the hospital. Your family's in and out of the hospital. It's a relationship thing. You're going you're to be forced to see people around the Christmas table that you don't necessarily have good relationship with right now. Kids, you're in the room here too. What's the hard thing that you're facing today? What's the thing that you don't want to go to school for tomorrow? There's a reason why you don't want to go to school because there's one kid you got to see. There's one classmate that's been bugging you. There's one class that's too hard. The Christmas story is a tale of people who were experiencing hard times. This prophecy came to people that were in slavery. Mary, in the Christmas story, is a pregnant teenager not an easy life in our world, let alone in their world, where she would have been scandalized and cast aside, and everyone would have spread rumors about she probably would have, she would have been the talk of the town. Everyone would have talked about what happened to Mary. Joseph's family would have been saying, why her? Anyone else? You know the movie that's coming out, Why Him? You seen that? Why her? Why the pregnant teenager? You, you don't have to stay with her. Why would you bring shame on our family? Why would you go through this? And, be, and, 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 bring, and bring this shame and, and deal with consequences the rest of your life about how people would talk about your family. Why would you do that? Just break the engagement and move on and find somebody else. But no, they decided we're sticking together because there's a promise in here for us. God promised us something, so we're going to stick it out in the midst of hardship. So they walked from Nazareth to, as we read, Bethlehem and... <laughs> Do you know how far it is from Nazareth to Bethlehem? <laughs> it's 111 kilometers. That's here to bury, nine months pregnant. <laughs> Imagine walking that. If you, if, if you do your Fitbit trackers and you try and get 10,000 steps every day, you know how many? That's 150,000 steps. That's two weeks worth of hitting your 10,000 steps, nine months pregnant while everyone was against you. They went and they followed because God had a promise in the midst of their circumstance. And the promise was that he was going to send his son and his son would give hope. And the challenges that they faced that day would not be the same challenges they faced the next year. And that's the only reason why we can continue on. And if I could wave a magic wand and things would be different, could you picture a time when next year you wouldn't be dealing with the same stuff? And this prophecy about Jesus said, no more sadness for people who are currently sad. And he said it for a very good reason, because the promise of Jesus is to give you reason to hope beyond the reality you see today. And kids, whether it's a world that's promised, you know what we're promised? One day we're promised to have a world where there is no more bullying and your parents are perfect. 
That's what heaven is. <laughs> We're promised a world where relationships don't break down and where there's no sickness and where our bodies don't ache and where every need we have is met and we don't have to struggle. That's a pretty amazing story that we're promised. That's a story that even beats Santa Claus filling up a stocking with lifesavers and lip chap and all the other wonderful things that go in our stockings. Santa's great, but we have hope beyond what we see today. And if our hope is in anything of this world, whether it's a person or a circumstance or a job, that hope is going to fail. And the hope of Jesus is greater than our circumstance. That's our first big thought this morning. The second thing is, is this, that, that hope isn't, is not only not bound by circumstance, it's not bound by time. How long are you willing to hold on to hope for? How long are you willing to wait patiently for something to happen? Girls, how long would you be willing to date a guy before he asks you to marry him? I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. Hope. How long, if you've been in this relationship, are you willing to stay? Some of you are laughing because I know you waited a very, very, very long time. I, I can see the smile. I mean, like, I would just, and some of you are maybe in the relationship right now. And, and it's like, he just, I, I don't know how long I'm going to hold on to hope that he's going to marry me. Kids, how long are you willing to wait when mom and dad say we can go to McDonald's later? Maybe later? Like, how long is later when they, when they say, how long? How long? 8,000 hours. That's a very specific time, all right? <laughs> Abby's willing to wait on to, to hope for 8,000 hours. You do the math and we'll figure out how many days or weeks that is. <laughs> More than a month you're waiting to hold out for hope for. When we're anxious and we're hoping for something, don't, we set boundaries on time, right? We set boundaries. That if God promised it to me, if God said he would answer my prayer then it has to happen within this week, this month, this year. And if it hasn't happened by now, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Well, Janae read us Isaiah 9, 1b, and, and uh, no, sorry, uh, Jeremy was reading that part too. It said, in the future, he will honor Galilee by the nations, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, Isaiah, when he first prophesied this, this is 600 years before Jesus would show up and honor Galilee by the way of the sea. Between this promise and the fulfillment of the promise, I want you to look at what happened over the course of time. Again, we're going to put up a little map that was drawn by one of our, one of our uh, teaching pastors, Josh. He's our, he's, our, he's our small group pastor. So this is Isaiah prophesying. And remember those two, Naphtali and Zebulun, they're taking all the people out. This happens, and then they start coming back, and they start to build the temple. But then the Persians come in, and then they take over Israel. They've already been promised that things are going to get better. They go back into slavery. And then as you go through 300 years, 200 years, 100 years, you've got the Alexandrian Empire, the, I, I don't even know how to say that word properly, the Ptolemy's Empire, <laughs> the, the Syrians, all, these, all these dominations till we get up to the time where the Romans ruled in Israel. And they had a promise that things were going to be better. They should have given up hope. That's that's more than 8,000 hours. I don't know if you know that. She's not even listening anymore. That's more. <laughs> 600, 600 years is more than 8,000 hours. We're just doing, we just did the math. <laughs> They're going to McDonald's before 600 years. They should have given up hope if their hope was in earthly things, if they had been using human logic. But why didn't they? Because their hope wasn't bound 
by a certain amount of time. And ladies, if you're in this situation right now and you're still waiting for that guy to propose, (laughs) and between now and then, what if I told you it might take a decade? And what if I told you that during that decade, he might lose his job, and then he might move back home, (laughs) and then he might have a conversation about breaking up with you, and then he has to take a season of working on his music and his art because he's finding himself... (laughs) And then he's going to ask you. The promise was still there. The promise that, yeah, we're going to get married, it didn't change, but it took a long time to get there. And at some point, it becomes hard to believe that the promise will ever come true. Parents with infants, or if you've just gone through this stage, there were days in Jesus' childhood that I will guarantee Mary and Joseph questioned the promise that this was God's son. I will guarantee they <laughs> They were the, this, is, this is God's child, this one here that is screaming up and, and can't even, fi- 50% of the food doesn't even get in his mouth that I put near his lips. He's not going to be able to feed 5,000. This child cannot even feed himself right now. This is not God's son. And they would say, thank you, God, for being the wonderful privilege of being the parents to the son of man. It just seems like less of a privilege when it's three in the morning and the baby will not stop crying thank you for this wonderful gift and promise that you've given to me. And the promise wouldn't be realized for 30 more years. They would have had to gone through the era of Jesus being a little boy, scraped knees, ripped clothes. They would have had to gone through the era of Jesus being a hyperactive preteen. And it took time to see the promise come true. But just because God's promises don't come true within a week, a month, five years, 20 years, it doesn't change the authenticity of the promise. In fact, what do we read in 2 Peter 3 and 8? It says that with God, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And that place that I was describing earlier, heaven, well, that's an amazing place. And it's a place where those who recognize who Jesus Christ was and believe in him and say, I need forgiveness of my sins, and I know that Jesus came to take the place for that. we those people have been waiting for 2,000 years for that promise to come true. Did you know that when you read the New Testament, the early church genuinely believed that Jesus would come back during their lifetime? And when they say wait patiently, they were saying wait, wait a few more months. And if it has to be, they said, we saw him go. And do you remember what he said? In the same way that I left, you'll see me return. And they thought, great. Like, is that next Tuesday? Or is that? And as months went by, they would say, we need to wait patiently. And as a year went by, they got really antsy, like, when is Jesus coming back? Look what Paul wrote to the Roman church. He said, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen, hope that's already realized, is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? He started talking, they started to understand, oh, Jesus didn't mean he was coming back right away. <laughs> it's going to be something we have to hold on to, and it may take a long time. Faith by definition, means we have to believe in something that we're not currently experiencing, but it is real. And the message of Christmas, for some, I, I believe this year, as, as we were preparing this, this service, I believe that this is the message for you, that the promise that God has for you and has given to you is taking time. And just because it's taking time doesn't mean it isn't coming. 
And if God's promised you something, spoke to you something, if you've opened his word and his word has resonated within you, you go, that's for me. Or if it's been a time of reflection and prayer and you know the Holy Spirit's been speaking something to you, just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean the promise has any less validity because God's promises are not bound by time like we like to put on that. And some look at this thought and this concept and they poke holes in it because they'll go, hope is not a plan. <laughs> just, just grasping that it will come true is not a plan to make things work. You ever work with a person who thinks that hope is a plan? <laughs> just like, just cross your fingers. Like, we decided against doing pre-registration. We're just hoping we have enough resources. Or, or maybe, maybe you're married to someone who's like, just hope, hope is their plan. You know, I haven't checked the bank account, but I'm really pretty sure that the, what's on the credit card is going to balance out with what's in the bank. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend like that, and that is her saying. Her saying is, hope is not a plan. And while that is true in, in financial management and while finger-crossing is a bad way of doing research, as we were preparing this message, we said, you know, you're right, hope is not a plan, but you know what hope is? It's a promise. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And aren't you glad that God exists and works beyond our measures and our standards? Jesus grew up in Nazareth as Mary and Joseph's son. And when he was 30 years old, too old to be living at home, too old to be unmarried, at this point, a seemingly... Think about this. In this culture, he should have been married and moved out of his parents' home as a teenager. He was 30 years old living at home, never done any of the things that were prophesied about him. There were probably times when people would have looked at Mary's unwavering belief that it was a virgin birth and an immaculate conception. And Jesus at this point leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum. And Capernaum is a major port city on the Mediterranean. In fact, back in those days, Capernaum was the largest distributor of bread for that entire region. If we had pulled the map back up, we could have showed you how everyone would have come on the Mediterranean and landed in Capernaum when they needed bread. It was prepared daily, it was baked daily, it was mass-produced, and they would have come and got bread for however long they would have needed or wanted it. And Jesus decides to begin his public work at 30 years old right there. And I want you to see the scripture that he reads when he begins to speak publicly in Capernaum where everyone would have come to see. Let's go to Matthew 4 and 16. Here's what Jesus reads as he opens up the scriptures. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And he comes to the place where everyone would have been and people would have heard about, you know, you remember that people that said who was God's son? There was that kind of stir. He just showed up and started reading Isaiah about, him, about how God's light is about to dawn. And throughout all of Israel, even though things had been consistently bad for 600 years, he's saying, Israel, even though it seems like these promises would never come true, Israel, it's a new day and the darkness is starting to lift. And this Christmas, some of you, some of us, need to be reminded that the darkness begins to lift at Christmas. 
because we're reminded of the promise and the hope that we can only have in Jesus Christ. And the thing that we deal with today may not be the thing that we deal with tomorrow. And for sure, down the road, when Jesus comes back, we won't deal with it. And just because it takes time doesn't make it less true. And just because our circumstance says it's difficult doesn't make it so. And hope is not a plan, but hope is a promise. And the promise is this. The story of Jesus is more than a story. It's more than a good feeling. It's not something magical that we should just talk about every Christmas. And it extends beyond a church service and it extends beyond the carols uh, Heather led us through this morning. It's the very presence that goes with us that gives us peace for today and hope for a future at home with him in heaven. We want to close this morning by reading a song. Uh, Reading a song. I don't think we do that. I think we sing songs. I'm going to read a story. And this is a story. um, Pastor Doug said he came across this story as he was doing one of his leadership lessons. And it's by an author, pastor, and teacher by the name Greg Azamakopoulos. Didn't get that right. He's Greek. Greg A. (laughs) Kids, you may want to listen to this story as we close. It's got a lesson for all of us. The boxes of Christmas decorations were carried up from the basement. I had to go to church, so the serious work of Christmasizing our home would have to wait until I returned. In the meantime, our five-year-old daughter, Lauren, was content to play with a miniature plastic nativity set we kept in an old Lifesavers tin. When I arrived home, I was greeted by my wife and the inviting aroma of dinner. Stealing a peek at the table, I saw that Lauren had placed the pieces of the nativity set at each person's plate. Apparently, shepherds, wise men, cows, and sheep would be joining us for dinner. Very sweet. Just then, Lauren raced into the kitchen. Daddy, daddy, her voice was panicked. Jesus is missing. We've looked everywhere, and I can't find him. And she was right. I glanced at the supper table, and I didn't see baby Jesus anywhere. We'll find him, I said. Sure that he was stuck under the couch cushions or behind a chair somewhere. Let's look after we eat. And look, we did, low and high, high and low, under the couch, in the plants, in Barbie's playhouse, We scoured Lauren's coloring desk, cluttered with stickers, markers, and crayons, and a half-full can of pop. Everything but Jesus was there. As my compulsive find-whatever-is-lost-at-any-cost-neurosive kicked into high gear, I zeroed in on Lauren's backpack. Much like her older sister, Lauren carries her backpack everywhere she goes, and in it, she transports her treasures. Hair bows, hats, Barbies, stuffed kittens, plastic wallet, gummy bears. (laughs) I decided to look in that backpack. There at the bottom of her treasure trove was Jesus. Here he is, I pronounced, I I, I proudly announced. Jesus was in your backpack, all ready to go to preschool with you tomorrow. (laughs) I've often reflected on our search for our MIA Jesus, and now I realize that he wasn't missing in action at all. Jesus was in the middle of the action. His place in Lauren's backpack was divinely appropriate. There in the midst of all the symbols of my daughter's interests and activities was Lord of Life. And that reality extends beyond five-year-old girls. As we face a new year crammed with commitments, each of us can begin this year confident that Jesus is right there in the middle of it all. As much as it drives us crazy not to have Jesus in its proper place in the nativity or at the dinner table, he belongs in our minivans, in our briefcases, our purses, our gym bags, our suitcases, and in our wallets. God's uncontainable love for his creation spilled over into a manger, a carpenter's boat, a fishing boat, a tax collector's home, 
a Roman execution scene, a rich man's grave, and an upper room. The good news of Christmas that catapults us towards Easter and beyond is that we are not alone. The one who has made us has come and remains with us in all that we attempt. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the peace and the hope that you offer this Christmas and beyond. And I pray for us as a church that we wouldn't forget that. You're not a story, you're not a memory, and you're not an experience. You're our creator. You're the one who gave us life, and you're the one that wants to be involved in every part of our life. And Jesus, as we examine our lives in a quiet moment of reflection this morning, we look at the places that are hurt. We look at the places where we would say, there's been sadness, like Isaiah talked about, where there's been darkness. And in Jesus' name, we lift those up to you. And we say, we have hope beyond this circumstance. For those who have been carrying that darkness and sadness for quite some time, we confidently say there's hope that is not bound by a time limit. Because we believe that the promise you gave us is beyond what we experience today. It's hope that's only found in you as we give our lives over to you. We thank you, Jesus, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.